Hi, Marshall Koval here with the uh, CEO of Lumina Gold Corp. Uh, we're advancing the Congrejos project in Ecuador. It's the largest primary gold deposit in Ecuador with some 17 million ounces of gold and, and 2 billion pounds of copper. We just put out a press release today. Um, so I'll reference you to the press release. Take a look at that. And basically, we're advancing the Congrejos project to a pre-feasibility level. Marshall, good to see you again. It's been a while. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Saw the uh, release today um, with regards to the staff out at uh, Grand Bastia. But I want to talk to you about a bit bigger, wider topic first. And that, that seems to be the sort of South American discount, which seems pervasive um, across all countries. Um, people are nervous about the socialist agenda or perceived socialist agenda. I don't think um, you're immune uh, there uh, in Ecuador. So what's the reality of the situation with the new president coming in is he helping mining? Yeah, President Lasso, I met with him a couple times now, and his agenda is to uh, advance the mining sector and bring in foreign direct investment. Right now, mining is about 4% of the GDP of the country, and uh, the areas where the Mirador mine and Fruta del Norte mine have the highest GDP in the country uh, over the last couple of years. So he sees the uh, the impact to the economy of uh, responsible mining. So his uh, agenda is to grow that sector. And as far as the discount goes, you know, he's a banker and, you know, I've talked to him with about this directly and he understands it. And he said, just give me some time. And, and, you know, as we open up Ecuador to the world more and more of the world in Ecuador is his thing, you'll see that discount shrink. That's his view. Right. So there was obviously some, uh, you know, big mines uh, started up there in 2019, um, Frida yeah. del Norte being, being one of them. But you've got a new president here, a relatively young president. Um, has he got the support behind him? Is, is mining an area where he dares to tread or is it a delicate subject? I mean, how ambitious is he to um, improve relations? Yeah, his, his real focus, and he's coming up with a, a national mining strategy, and, and the issue there is responsible mining, and, and that's what he's really focused on. There's there's a lot of issues in the country with illegal or informal mining that isn't permitted, and basically he's trying to clean that up. At the same time, he's trying to make the country more uh, more amenable for foreign investment or more attractive, I should say. And you know, he's a center-right uh, government, so you don't have the socialist leanings that you're seeing in other parts of Latin America. And, you know, I think um, in the last several years, there's sort of been activism on the constitutional court. Um, he's managed with the rotations uh, in the constitutional court to put three new justices in place. And I think it's a more balanced court at this point. So there has been referendums. I think the ones that hit uh, Loma Larga the worst um, have uh, have have been uh, the courts now much more balanced. So I don't think we'll see these sort of things like we were seeing the last couple of years. Right, and obviously some of the companies you know further to, further to the south of you, um, you know, and, and in and around you, Peru, Chile, all suffering from the, the same sorts of headlines. You mentioned activism on, on on the court, but we're also seeing these NGOs paying for activism on the ground all the way from Europe, in fact, you know, some money flowing flowing out there. I mean, how, how big of a problem is this for miners more broadly? Is it going to come down to the rule of law or will social media win? No, I, I think at the end of the day, all those things you, you have to address. But I think at the end of the day for your projects, uh, particularly within Ecuador, 
you got to start at the center of where your project is and build that strong social license and work with the communities and, and, and develop that. At the same time, you have to be able to work with the governments and, and provide the benefit or explain the benefit of the project um, to those agencies and, and to the administration. And I think in the case where I mentioned earlier, the GDP growth in the country, uh, mining at 4%, if you go back before 2019, it was, you know, less than 1%. And so I think if you look in the context of, of Lasso's view, you know, he would like to see that doubled within, you know, a certain number of years. So there is a development pipeline of projects. You know, Aventus was the most recent project that got financed in the country, and they were able to bring in international financing. So, you know, the government wants to see that type of responsible development going forward. And, and they're trying to work with the companies. Uh, for instance, when Moreno was in power, he never met with the mining chamber. And Lasso's been meeting with the mining chamber regularly, trying to get the input from the companies. And, you know, having said all that, you know, obviously there's headwinds in any new emerging jurisdiction like Ecuador. So, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say we won't have any of those going forward. But I think there's a strong interest on the government to grow the sector. I mean, I, th I think there's also word on the street that suggests that he may make an announcement at PDAC or before PDAC as to you know some of the initiatives. And that'll be interesting to see what they are. But what what do you need as a mining CEO of you know company with you know six different assets? What are you going to need to make your job easier? I, I know you're not asking for shortcuts or favors, but what would right. make life easier? Well, I think there's a lot of um, it's a new administration and in, in some of the ministries, there's been a reorganization. And, and so the permitting has been a bit slower than we'd like to see. Obviously, um, you know, we have interest in opening up the cadastral system when that eventually happens, that, that's been shut down. But basically having the government support to streamline the process to advance these projects um, within the country, I, I think there's still Geologically, there's still a lot of uh, undiscovered potential and there's a chance for discovery. And, and this is going to be primarily in the copper and gold space or the gold and copper space, however you want to look at it. And I think as time goes on uh, and more and more of this uh, exploration work, which we've really pushed the government not to just look at mines being built, but also look at exploration because that's short term revenues into the communities and into the country. Um, as that gets easier to do and, and take on in the country, I think um, that'll help me do my job. Okay. And again, I'm just going to keep it fairly macro for, for a bit longer if I, if I can. Um, we put out a few sure. articles and had a few conversations and a few panels talking about ESG and the, and the need for it more broadly. It's the thematic of the, of the, of the last 12 months. Funds are um, rebadging re themselves and they're making um, their investment uh, very much linked to e ESG, um, you know, uh, checklists as it were, tick boxes. Yeah. Our audience has, is fairly mixed on that. Some people wholeheartedly support it and understand it. And there's others going, it's just BS and re, uh, re, rebadging something which already exists. Where do you stand? So I, I stand that you need to advance it no matter what. I think it, part of it uh, comes into good environmental and social practices on your project. For instance, one of the advantages that Ecuador has is a large percentage of the power in the country's hydroelectric. So if you look at electrification of, of the grid and, and all the EV stuff that's going on around the world, Ecuador's in a pretty good position because it's got the ability to provide copper production. You have that already in Mirador and you've got other 
large projects potentially to do that. You've got hydropower, so you have less of a carbon footprint there. And then, you know, working with the, the communities to advance the communities in, you know, education, social. Biodiversity is a big thing in Ecuador. You know, we're doing a lot of work with reestablishing uh, forestry for critical habitat. You know, for instance, howler monkey corridors get cut off in different areas of the country just from uh, livestock grazing. And, and we're doing a lot of work in area that we didn't disturb, but are within some of the surface area that we purchased to reestablish that habitat. And, you know, there's a lot of things like that, that you just do as, as part of the, the business. And the cornerstone to, um, you know, any good mining company is that whole social environmental component with local communities and the governments. Does it always have to cost more money to do that? Sounds like a lot of work and distraction. You know what? Um, I think there's there's a real positive benefit because most of that type of work, you're, you don't have a large labor force uh, that you're bringing in from outside the area. So you're working with your neighbors and, and the local communities. And obviously, um, you know, work is a big deal for these areas. Most of these mine sites are in remote areas. So, so I don't think it's an extra burden. I think it's just good practice. Okay. Let's go, let's go totally macro here. Uh, there's a massive disconnect between precious metal, well, gold price and copper price and what the equities are doing, unless you're a producer, of course, in which case you're raking it in. Developers like you have not seen the benefit yet. What's going on out there? Yeah, so I sit on the board of Equinox Gold and you look at what's happened over the last year, year and a half, the, the free cash flow with this uh, rising gold price. I think we budget most of our, our stuff around $1,700 gold. So anything up and above that, you're generating quite a bit of free cash flow and the, and the market can see that. You can see the majors, the royalty companies and the stronger mid-tiers have moved up. The development space hasn't moved up in the junior space uh, as as quickly. And so there's a lag there, there's a disconnect. And, and I think for companies like us, we're continuing to do the work, keep our head down, um, do good work. You know, today, like I mentioned, we put out a press release with some positive developments at our Congrejos project. So I think uh, eventually you're going to see that that gap kind of close down. And then in the case of Ecuador, as the investment climate gets better, you're going to see PNAV ratios kind of move up is is what we think will happen. Okay. And in, in, the, in the context of what the, what the majors typically do in this environment is they go and buy and they go buy big there's not so many big projects out there. Um, there have been some deals and some, some, some good deals and some, some okay deals, but um, I, I kind of expect them to kind of lower their standards somewhat in terms of their expectations because of the lack, lack of deals out there. But that's not happening either. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, I think we're at a point right now where we've got gold prices fairly elevated. And I think that the, some of the companies have been conservative with their view on evaluation. But I think you've got to look at we're hovering around the $2,000 mark with gold. And that, that could move up and down. It, it could move back down to that 1800 1900 range. But I think that M&A view, you gotta, you got to look at it. Are you comfortable taking on a deal that's uh, maybe at plus $2,000? gold valuation when you look at doing the acquisition. And, and there's some companies that are doing that. Um, so I think um, that that quantum, just getting over that is is what has to happen for more M&A deals. Right. We're seeing a lot of investors, certainly on the retail side, holding on to more cash. You know, our, our guys were you know, 20% on average, now 40%. 
on average, a little bit nervous mm -hmm. about what's going on in the market. Does the same thing apply to majors when looking into different jurisdictions, something we touched on a second ago? Do they want to see permits in place before they commit however many hundreds of hundreds of millions or billions of, of dollars? Is that is that a kind of... Yeah, generally they want to see some de-risking on the projects. You're seeing a lot of um, uh, uh, projects uh, where the valuations uh, are the initial capital is well over a billion, two billion, three billion dollars, those kind of those kind of projects. And let's take pause to uh, look at those. And, you know, the case of what we're doing at Congrejos right now, the initial capital for a 40,000 pound per day uh, operation that we did in the PEA was about a billion dollars. So what that does is that shrinks sort of the, the potential acquirers out there um, some of the mid-tiers can take on projects like that, like in Equinox right now, we're building the Greenstone project. Um, you know, that's a $1.2 billion build. Not all mid-tiers can take that on. So I think um, basically what you need to see is is some de-risking and getting projects, you know, at least to pre-feasibility stage, unless there's a massive new discovery that... Uh, takes off. I mean, something like in the copper space below, um, you know, that's a little bit different story. Those are rarer situations. So, so let, let, let's, come on to, let's come on to you, um, because I want to sort of try and understand where you've got to. I mean, uh, so we haven't spoken for a while. Um, you know, the, the, the 2020 PEA, you've got yourself at NPV5 at 1680 um, gold of about $2.5 um, But that's a PEA. You've got to get some yep. robust economics with the, with the PFS. So, so where in the process are you and what's the timing for the delivery of the PFS? Yeah, so that PEA had about 10.8 uh, million ounces of gold in the indicated and about 1.4 billion pounds of copper. So what we're doing now is the infill drilling. Um, we've got about 25,000 meters of infill drilling. We have seven drill rigs in the field right now. We've completed about 15,000 meters of that program. So we're looking at sort of July timeframe to have that, um, that drilling completed. But in parallel, we're also going back and looking at um, the PEA and we're doing optimization studies. We just brought a Senko in to uh, lead sort of the process infrastructure and tailings work. And we're looking at, you know, do we use high pressure grinding roll versus sag mill that'll, that'll save energy. Uh, we did have HPGR high pressure grinding mills in the uh, PEA, but we're revisiting all that. We're trying to look at maybe we phase the project a bit differently. It went from 40,000 uh, tons today to 80,000 tons today in year five. Now we're looking at maybe we, we drop it down to 30 and go to 60 and go to 80, or maybe we go to 50,000 off the bat and, and go up to 80. And, and so we're doing all these trade-off studies right now to try to um, get to a, a better initial project. And obviously, at the same time, we're looking at inflation that's happening with projects around the world. So we're trying to balance all that. So all that work's going on. So basically, once we finish the infill drilling, uh, we'll develop a new mine plan. We'll do all the engineering and some of that work's ongoing now. And, and we'll look to the very end of the first quarter, possibly uh, a little bit uh, into the second quarter of next year to complete the PFS. And what is it? I mean, it's a great, great topic to have and discuss because most companies that come on, we're talking about um, working through a, a study process at the moment, are very cognizant of the inflationary uh, 
damage that has been done over the past sort of 18 months or so um, and, uh, right. and as it looks to continue, not, not, not just in terms of cost of materials, but um, op operating staff, the, the amount you have to pay, e even if you can get a hold of them, even if you can get a hold of drills, drill rigs, et cetera. So where, where well, two things, where are you with um, you know, all of the, op the, the, the kind of OPEX uh, stuff? And secondly, do you think there's going to be an offset between the kind of in incremental costs and the fact that you know gold pr gold price seems to be rising? They 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 may cancel each other out. Well, you hope that the latter happens, or or that you can at least improve on previous work and not get beaten up by that. But basically, what um, what you're really looking to do here is to get your uh, cost in place and understand kind of where the risk areas are and and try to try to get those taken care of and. You know, I think um, if you look at right now, besides fuel and energy costs, the energy costs and fuel costs in Ecuador have been fairly stable because the government, uh, it, it's an oil producing country and it has hydropower. So we're, we're not going to get hit uh, very hard on that one. But where you're really seeing things are like steel cost and transportation, particularly, you know, transoceanic transportation, those kind of costs are real hard. And the conundrum you're sort of dealing with is um, you look at, Current pricing, when you develop your um, your capex and opex costs, but then you look at a future gold price, which is analyst consensus that's usually well below the um, the current gold price environment that you're dealing with. So you take a hit on using current costs, for instance, on on the cost side, but you use a go lower gold price, right? And I think a project like Congrejos, one of the real advantages it has is it's a long mine life, plus 25 years in the, in the PEA. So it can survive multiple cycles, you know. So when you look at it from a pure MPV perspective, um, you know, that's one way to look at it. But you, back to your question about acquiring companies for this type of deposit. A lot of them will look at the long term and, and look at being able to survive those cycles. And there's a value beyond the MPB. Now, I'm not saying you're necessarily going to get that when you sell a project, but you know that's that's one of the benefits of these long life projects. So you're trying to balance all the cost pressure and, and find the right gold price environment and copper environment. So, for instance, when we did the PEA in 2020, um, we used $1,400 gold for the uh, MPV calculation, and we used 275 copper, but we were even more conservative because the, the, the mine plan was based on $1,100 gold uh, ultimate pit shells. So, you know, you got you to gotta build these things up and, and hopefully, um, you know, you get in the situation that if you do have to build a project like this, I mean, our business plan has been to add value, de-risk, and, and move these on to somebody that would build it. Um, you've at least been diligent enough in your engineering and your assumptions that you develop a, a potentially buildable project. Right. So the, obviously, the, so the 25-year uh, life of mine um, is a defense. The low ASEC is a, is a defense. But the bit that isn't a defense is people know that you've got to flip it out. So how do you get that kind of competitive tension out there? Because it's going to be of a size and a scale. It's going to be interesting. People are after gold and they'd love the kind of the copper byproduct because it's it's a big chunk of copper, uh, right? Um, yeah. Where's the competitive tension come from? And you know, and how how do you pit people against each other in a sales um, process? Well, first of all, we don't have a, a sales process going uh, if. right now. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> the uh, 
the, the real issue here is, um, you know, this is the 15th largest uh, development project uh, in the world right now. And, and it's the fifth largest held by independent, you know. So basically, there aren't that many big scale projects like this. I mean, one of the knocks we get on the project, it, it's lower grade. But also what doesn't always get into the equation, it's one of the lowest strip projects out there. The overall strip on it's 1.1 to 1. And basically what that does is if, if you flip it around to all these other development projects that are out there and you look at strip ratio and grade, it becomes one of the better looking ones because you have to move less waste tons to get to a ton of ores. So, so that's good. And then I think... Um, as far as competitive tension, there just aren't that many of these projects that can produce over 250,000 ounces a, a year of gold. So, you know, at some point, this, this will be a mine at some point. And, uh, you know, basically companies are having to do reserve replacement. You, you know, you got a couple of companies producing plus 5 million ounces of gold. Where are you going to go for the next one? So at some point, this should become attractive. I mean, the, having the sort of low-grade thing thrown at you, I mean, being a board director at Equinox, you must be able to bat that one off rather quickly, I would have thought. Sure, sure. sure. It's just an earth-moving <laughs> exercise, really. In fact, it's, It it's, is. It's, it's a simplicity. productivity exercise. Right. Productivity, size, and scale. And, you know, you look at uh, projects like an Equinox, and not really here to talk about them, but uh, Mesquite, for instance, that, that thing's been going for 20-plus years, about closer to 30 now, and, and it's a low-grade heat leach deposit, and it's a productivity exercise, right? So, you know, you can make good money on these things, and Mesquite's throwing off a significant free cash flow right now. Absolutely. So it's efficient, earth-moving processing exercise uh, logistics, right? Hey, I actually, uh, we actually were here to talk about um, the step out at Grand Bestias. <laughs> Better talk about it, haven't we? Why, why do you do it? Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, so Grand Bestia is the second pit in the uh, in the PEA that we put out in 2020. And actually, we were already headed on the main Congrejos deposit to a pre-feasibility study then. Then we drilled and made the discovery at Grand Bestia. And um, Basically, Grand Bestia and the PEA mine plan of 2020 comes in at about year eight. And what we've done is we just stepped out um, a hole that's about 180 uh, meters to the northwest of the existing pit in the PEA, and the breaches continue there. So we're going to do some more drilling, and, and that does a couple things. It lowers the strip ratio, but also potentially brings more um, gold ounces into a mine plant. So we're really excited about that. And then we also drilled another hole, and, and this is all in the press release of today. We drilled another hole where we had 134 meters of 1.7 gram, 1.17 grams per ton of gold in these breaches right at the surface. So, you know, Grand Bestia has got a 0.8 to 1 strip ratio, already a really low strip ratio. And, um, you know, this could this work and this step out work can lower that even more. So we're excited about that discovery. But, but why, why are we inclined to do that? Because it, you've got a huge amount of answers already. What, are you going to continue on, on the exploration, the blue sky upside? Or because you know a lot of a lot of your money is now being uh, in terms of the infill and bringing uh, inferred up into M and I. That seems to be. But are you, does that mean you're also not going to stop the, on the exploration side as well? So we're, we're doing limited exploration. We're, we're mainly stepping out in areas that both uh, 
Frambestia and at uh, Congrejos, where we think it would add to the pit configuration of, of the project. There's a lot of blue sky. There's other deposits within the, the 5,000 hectare land package, but we're not doing that type of exploration other than some field work and, and rock chip sampling, a little bit of trenching and geochemistry. But the focus is on these two pits, Grand Bestia and Congrejos. Okay, well, look, good. Um, we better leave it there, Marshall. Um, I appreciate you coming on. One, giving us a filling us in on what's going on um, up there in Ecuador and, and your thoughts more broadly on, on, on the macro. Um, it's good to hear from you. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on um, with the with, through the drill bit. And, and of course, if um, Lasso actually makes us some sort of statement, that would be uh, good to catch and get your thoughts on that too. Can I add one more thing, sure. Matthew? One of the things we also did is um, in January, we signed an investment protection agreement with uh, President Lasso and his ministers. And basically what that does is there's no bilateral investment treaty between Canada and Ecuador. There used to be one, Korea uh, stopped it. But basically what that does is between 2019 and 2024, the company's committed to spend $35 million uh, to, to get this um, investment protection. And if there's issues, um, there's arbitration in London. But what it also does, it, it sets the framework to further de-risking the project so that the basic framework's in place that when you get to a PFS, you negotiate a term sheet with the government uh, for uh, your investment uh, and it sets your royalty rate, your tax rate, all that. You use that in your feasibility study, but it sets a framework to negotiate that agreement. So that helps us further de-risk the project. And, and once you have the PFS completed, you can start the permitting uh, along with that investment protection agreement. So those are significant uh, things that we've advanced as well. Okay, and so is that just limited to you? I mean, that was something your company did, or was that other mining companies? Yeah, yeah right. we were the we were the first one to do it, and then Solgold also has done one as well. Gotcha. Okay, no, that is interesting. Um, thanks for letting us know. Okay, um, Marshall, I'll let you go. All right, Matthew. Thank you. Take care. Take care to everyone.